Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and truth. A man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's David Fiorazzo. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. We have an exciting education update for you today, and we are going to talk about the truth, about the decline in public schools. Can that trend be reversed? We've got an expert to talk about it with us today, Alex Newman. We'll introduce him in a minute. But Father in Heaven, uh, thank you for this day and this opportunity to talk about these important issues. And we ask for wisdom, Lord, especially I ask for wisdom for those parents that have children in the public schools. Lord, there's so much coming against them today that uh, maybe some of us didn't have to deal with growing up. But Um, It's declining. There's a big problem. There's hostility against Christianity. And Lord, we ask that you protect these kids. And for those parents that that can, Lord, please encourage them that they can educate their kids at home and they can teach them in the ways of God. They'll never get that in the schools, Lord. We thank you that uh, you are starting a new movement among people that are concerned about the education of children. And we ask your protection especially over Christian kids, Lord. And God, guard their hearts and their minds. We lift up this hour to you. We thank you that you've given us everything we need for life, for godliness, to deal with everything that's going on in our country, in our culture. And we pray for wisdom, Lord. More wisdom, Lord, please. And uh, we love you and just thank you for this chance to talk about education today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's guest, first-time guest on Stand Up For The Truth, Alex Newman, is an award-winning journalist, international correspondent, educator, author, and consultant. In addition to serving as a writer and media personality for Freedom Project, Alex is a foreign correspondent for The New American Magazine. He's a contributor to WorldNet Daily and president of the media and information consulting firm Liberty Sentinel Media. Alex has authored two books, including a major expose on American public schools titled Crimes of the Educators, How Utopians Are Using Government Schools to Destroy America's Children. We'll talk about that. Uh, He co-authored that with the late Sam Blumenfeld. Alex graduated from the University of Florida. He's lived in seven seven countries. You're going to have to ask him about that. On four continents and speaks multiple languages. His work has been cited by governments and major media outlets. Alex Newman, good morning, and welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, pleasure to have you on, finally. Uh, There's so much to cover. So let's just jump right in. Um, Let's talk about the book that you wrote, because we we have so many articles and so much information we want to get to, but I did want to mention that. Such an important book. I I have quoted... Uh, Sam Blumenfeld, in my books, and you wrote one with him, co-authored Crimes of the Educators. Uh, When was that? How did that come about, your work with him? And if you could, boy, I know this is a challenge, but if you could put that into maybe a couple minutes of some of the points and just encourage people about reading that and where they can get it. Yeah, well, thank you so much, David, for the opportunity to talk about these things. Uh, the the way it came about with Sam Blumenfeld, you know, I, I had been a fan of his for years. Uh, he was, you know, very very well known mm-hmm. uh, in conservative circles, Christian circles, especially among those who are concerned about education. And he had been writing for the New American for for actually decades, um, even since before I was born. Interestingly enough, <laughs> and uh, I had been writing for the New American on education since I had first learned about Common Core. That, that was really my first big foray into writing on education. That was probably around 2011. And uh, so Sam and I were both writing articles on education in the New American. And then one day he called me with uh, another gentleman who I knew over at uh, WorldNet Daily. And uh, they said, hey, what would you think about uh, doing a book with us? You know, Sam can handle basically all the historical aspects of the book because, you know, Sam spent 60 years of his life studying all this. Uh, He's written, I think, 12 or 13 books on the education system and on education more broadly. And I fell out of my chair. Like, really? I get to work with Sam Blumenfeld? So I did. Uh, we did. We spent a couple years working on that. The book finally was published in early 2015. 
And uh, I, I was able to fly up to see Sam thanks to a generous donor who bought me a plane ticket. I was able to fly up to see Sam uh, just a few days before he passed away because wow. uh, we worked over the phone and over the Internet the whole time. And uh, then the book was published. Sam passed away. And so I kind of just picked up the baton and ran with it. And, it, you know, the substance of the book, it, I mean, it covers a lot of different angles, a lot of different areas. But the main takeaway from the book, I mean, you can't read it and come away not understanding this. And, and I think the facts are so well documented. It's essentially irrefutable. It debunks the idea that this is somehow an accident, right? That, mm-hmm. that this crisis that we have in education is somehow just, oh, we forgot how to educate, or that we need more money, or the classroom sizes are too big. What we show in the book, I think absolutely conclusively, is that the public education system is doing exactly what the people who designed it wanted it to do, and that is dumbing down, indoctrinating our children, and turning them against God, turning them against liberty, turning them against America, turning them against our constitutional Republican form of government. Um, and, I mean, from that perspective, the, the school system is a tremendous success. It, I mean, it's doing, it has phenomenal results. It's cranking out millions of children every year who, who hate God or who don't even believe in God, uh, who hate America and want to burn it to the ground, who can't read, who can't tell right from wrong. And, um, you know, as Sam and I both argued, our country, our freedom, our churches are not going to survive a few more generations of this, absent a miracle or, you know, a complete turnaround in this monstrous system. This was in 2011, I believe, when the book came out. Is that correct, Alex? Uh, 2015. Okay, 2015. You started writing in 2011. So at that time, I'm just looking at the the page here, and we'll put this in our podcast post today over on Amazon. The book is available, Crimes of the Educators. Um, In reading, students in 19 other countries scored higher than U.S. students. In science, 22 education system scored above the U.S. In math, 29 nations and other jurisdictions outperformed the U.S. Now, this was in 2015. Um, Common Core hadn't been nationalized yet, haven't been implemented. Well, actually, I take that back. It had been in 2010, correct? Well, it was just starting in 2010. They hadn't told anybody about it, but they were already working on it. Okay. Uh, and I came across it just in a local newspaper. There was a little tiny blurb in there, and uh, I forget exactly what it said, but something about that the Department of Education was working on a set of uh, national education standards or something. And I was like, whoa, that, that's like a big deal. Why is this you know, buried way in the back of the newspaper in a little blurb? Um, so, so that's when I really started focusing on education because actually, I, you know, I was overseas almost my whole life. I never set foot in an American government school until I came back for, uh, for university. And so all this was kind of new to me. I, my only experience with it was my brother going to one year of public school in America and coming out to, you know, heroin addict, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew something was wrong, but it wasn't until I started delving into this subject that I knew something was really, really rotten. There's a quote here uh, from a journalist, Henry Menken, I believe his name is. In 1924, uh, he wrote that the aim of public education is to reduce as many individuals as possible to the same safe level to breed and train a standardized citizenry and standardized. And, and you say that now, in that respect, they've done a pretty good job in the government education system and some parents that are listening to this right now are going, this just seems like it, it, it was an agenda, but they have a hard time believing that. How, what would you speak to them? Yeah, and what I would say is all you need to do is look at the evidence. Um, the, the only reason why you haven't seen the evidence is because the New York Times won't talk about it. The Washington Post <laughs> won't talk about it. They won't tell you about it on TV. But it's not for lack of evidence. I mean, yeah. John Dewey, you know, who's almost universally regarded as the founding father of America's disastrous public education system. And I think in fairness, he ought to share some of the blame mm. with people like Robert Owen, with people like uh, Horace Mann from Massachusetts. But John Dewey left an enormous paper trail. He told us exactly what he was thinking, exactly what he believed, exactly what he wanted to do. So there's no mystery here. You don't have to speculate. You don't have to theorize or connect the dots. You just have to read what the guy said. He said, we need to stop teaching little kids how to read and do math. What we really need to do is socialize them and turn them into little collectivists. Um, He said he he outlined his religion. He created a religious manifesto called the Humanist Manifesto. It's out there for anyone to see. Just just put it into a search engine. You can pull it right up, and you can see his religion. 
uh, what you'll notice very quickly is that it is anti-Christian to the core, and that it is now the official national religion of the United States, uh, mandated by the Supreme Court in 1962 and 1963. And you'll see that the great majority of our children today believe in this religion, whether they even realize it or not, they are humanists. And, uh, you know, again, just read the thing, the very first tenet. Uh, we religious humanists believe the universe is eternally self-existing and not created. Mm-hmm. Well, what does Genesis 1-1 tell us? In the beginning, God created, right? So he was just direct, full frontal attack on the authority of Scripture, on Christianity, on God. So there's no mystery here. And if you read the rest, he, he said we got to get rid of the profit motive, right? Get rid of the free market system. He said we need equitable distribution of the means of life or means of production, as communists would call it today. Um, they were totally transparent about what they were doing. So um, anybody who, who's thinking, well, you know, you know, I know the school system is bad, but it wasn't on purpose. All you have to do is read the documents. <laughs> exactly. And the Humanist Manifesto, I remember I wrote about that in, in my first book, Eradicate, Blotting Out God in America. But you mentioned John Dewey. We don't have time to get into all that in his history today. We will have to have you back, Alex, if you'll agree to come back on the show with us. Um, oh, certainly. I'd love to. Your article, How John Dewey Used Public Education to Subvert Liberty, is important, and God willing, another time we'll get to that. But uh, this is David Fiorazzo on Stand Up For The Truth. We're speaking with Alex Newman, award-winning journalist, correspondent, and author. Uh, so we're talking about your book, Crimes of the Educators, and we need to move on because we'll put that in the post. But I just love Samuel Blumenfeld, and I wanted to just mention that because I know— um, he's done so much amazing work uh, for, well, just to raise awareness about the problems in public education. But Alex, I didn't ask you really how you got connected with uh, Freedom Project and also WorldNet Daily. Yeah, well, well, thank you, David. And, and you know, I will say for the people out there listening, you know, if you haven't read Dr. Sam Blumenfeld's work, uh, one of the things I did when I started working with him was I got a copy of every book he ever wrote and read it. Um, <laughs> You, if you have any interest in the public school system, if you have kids, you need to read this stuff. I mean, he wrote NEA, Trojan Horse in Education. He wrote his Public Education Necessary. Uh, so many amazing books. If, if you're homeschooling, he wrote How to Tutor. Uh, you know, we've used that with our own children. It's phenomenal. So it's, it's a great tool. And the way I got connected with uh, Freedom Project Academy, believe it or not, I think I was the first teacher they hired. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, funny. I, I was giving a speech on the Federal Reserve System, the central bank. And um, the gentleman who really led the charge on founding Freedom Project, his name was Alan Scholl. I don't believe he's with the organization anymore, but uh, he was in the audience. And he came up to me afterwards. He said, that was great. Uh, could you teach a class on economics? <laughs> I was like, uh, I guess I could. <laughs> so I, I was I think, the first teacher they ever hired. I, I'm, I know I'm the longest serving teacher in the entire uh, Freedom Project. And so I've gotten, uh, I've gotten to know Duke. He's become a personal friend, uh, just a phenomenal guy, you know, one of those uh, rare gems in America who's mm-hmm. really leading this fight to rescue our country, to rescue our children. Uh, so it's been a real honor to work with him. And a couple of years ago, they said, uh, hey, Alex, you know, you write about education all the time. We know you know a lot about this subject. What do you think about keeping uh, an education blog at our uh, at our new Freedom Project media thing? So uh, I know you write there also, David. I've got uh, the Newman Report there where I write twice weekly on uh, different things happening in the field of education. And so that's kind of how that happened. Uh, WND happened. Um, I was writing for the New American, and actually, I, I worked for the Leadership Institute for a time. Um, it's, a, it's an organization in Washington, D.C. that uh, trains and uh, recruits conservatives, uh, young conservatives. I mean, we go to college campuses. So I was working with them, uh, for them. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a behind-the-scenes organization, but almost everybody who's anybody in the conservative movement in Washington, D.C. has at some point gone through the Leadership Institute. If it's not, you know, training, maybe recruitment, things like that, phenomenal organization. And my old supervisor there, um, when he went over to WND, he, he knew of my writing. In fact, he had written for the New American before as well, and he knew of my writing in the New American. And he said, uh, hey, what would you think about doing some articles for WND? And so um, that was in 2012. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great publication. It's a great uh, Christian. I, I, if, if I understand correctly, it's the biggest Christian conservative or conservative Christian publication in the world in terms of uh, traffic and it's, uh, it's a very, very good publication. It's one of the few places where you'll really read uh, the truth from a Christian perspective, you know, mm-hmm. get past the spin on the news. And so that's how that happened. I think that's true. I think you're right about the traffic there. WND has been very influential, and Joseph Farah and his work. Um, we mentioned another article, and I want to just tag this a little bit. U.S. children getting dumber and dumber 
Um, it sounds like it's a sensational headline. Uh, look, it sounds like clickbait on the Internet, Alex. <laughs> but there's truth behind it. And you mentioned American children are under Common Core. And there's a, a latest uh, result from the U.S. Department of Education's assessment on educational progress. I guess it's a federal study that came out. It's kind of like America's p- report card. About two-thirds of eighth-grade students were not proficient in any core subject including mathematics. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Sure. And, and, you know, that, that's nice. I've, I've been on a national speaking tour all this year. Uh, I actually just spoke yesterday at a conference in Tallahassee. And I, when I tell people that, I, I see faces like, oh, yeah, right. Come on. It's not that bad. You know? <laughs> and, and then I, I quickly put on a video. I, I did, This just came out a few weeks ago, the Undersecretary of Education, uh, explaining yeah, exactly what you just said. Over two-thirds of eighth graders in the United States today are not proficient in any core subject. And to kind of break down what that means, you know, they're talking about absolute basic proficiency on the dumbest of the most dumbed-down standards we've ever had in this country. Um, and two-thirds of eighth graders can't meet even the proficiency on these standards in any one of the subjects. So let that sink in. We're spending, you know, in some school districts twenty, twenty-two thousand dollars per year for twelve years, and we're graduating kids, many of whom can't even read their high school diploma. Uh, again, if you think that's an accident, I've got some really nice beachfront property in Nebraska. We can talk after the show, but uh, it, I mean, it's so clear. So I tell parents, you know, you think you're sending your kids to get an education. Don't take my word for it. They're not getting an education. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all kinds of metrics we can use. You know, the SAT is interesting because they have to dumb it down every 10 years to conceal the enormous decline. And the, the data shows that smart Americans, smart American youngsters today are dumber than the dumb American kids of the 1960s. That's how far we've fallen. If you look at the ACT data, which just came out in parallel with the uh, National Assessment of Educational Progress, they've never had lower scores for their high school seniors. There has never been a graduating class of high school seniors that was uh, more unprepared to do college work than the current crop. And it's getting worse every year, every wow. single year. So I think it's fair to say we are probably, dumb, our young people are probably dumber than we have ever been in all of American history. In that article, and that's at freedomproject.com, you cite the city of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Nine out of 10 students could not reach basic proficiency in any core subject despite spending around $20,000 per pupil per year. Alex Newman, uh, uh, what we hear from the left oftentimes and from the teachers unions and everyone else pretty much is that they need more money. The schools need more money. The the teachers need higher pay. Schools need more money. And as you said earlier, it's our money. It's the taxpayer money. So how does this work? Education is getting worse. And we, I want to bring up another point in a minute of how far it's regressed and fallen. But this $20,000 per pupil per year, and if you're even somewhat accurate and the standards are being lowered and the tests are being you know, recalibrated every 10 years, and, the, and what's, the, what's the problem here? But the problem is they are using quack methods to teach, and this is even at the most basic level, right? Uh, one of the things we spend a lot of time on in Crimes of the Educators and one of the things that we've made a, a kind of a central plank of our uh, Rescuing Our Children campaign is the fact that they are using methods that we've known are quackery literally since the 1840s, right? And for just to, to start at the most basic level, they use this technique to teach reading called the whole word method. Now they have new terms to kind of conceal it because the whole word method got a bad smell, but they're still using the same quackery, right? They're teaching kids to memorize entire words as if the words themselves were symbols rather than teaching the kids that each letter makes one or more sounds and you have to blend those, combine those together to decipher the word. And again, in the 1840s, this was tried in the public schools of Boston that were just newly created under Horace Mann. And it didn't take a few years for all the schoolmasters in Boston to rise up. They wrote a phenomenal essay exposing this quacker. They said, this doesn't work. Uh, you know, we did a trial. The kids can't read properly. We're not doing it anymore. These methods don't work. They're not justified by logic, sound reasoning. Um, and so they stopped. And yet John Dewey resurrected this, and it is still mandatory under Common Core for children to learn to memorize entire words. And now they call it balanced literacy, you know, whole language, all, all these different quack terminologies just to conceal what they're doing, which is mass-producing illiterate. And, you know, to be clear, I don't blame the average classroom teacher. Uh, you know, for the most part, these people went and got degrees in education.
education at some state college, and that's what they taught them. That's how you had to teach kids to read. And, of course, they don't know it's quackery. They, they learn that from their professor, and the professor is supposed to know what he's talking about. So to be clear, we're not blaming teachers here. You know, teachers just don't know, but the education establishment knows this very well. And, of course, if you can't read – or if you can't read properly, which is the situation, I think, for the overwhelming majority of American young people today, and many, many adults, in fact, probably over half, uh, if you can't read properly, you certainly aren't going to be reading your history textbooks. You're not going to be reading the Constitution. Um, you're going to struggle with everything. And if you look at the way they teach Common Core math, it is absolutely asinine. Mm-hmm. The only math expert they put on the committee said that these Common Core, on the validation committee, said these Common Core standards were poorly written. They were as non-challenging as possible. They had extremely serious failings. Some of them are based on incorrect math. They're not mathematically correct nor even clear. Uh, and this is uh, Dr. James Milgram of Stanford University, the only math expert they put on the Common Core Validation Committee. Um, this was supposed to be like a rubber stamp committee to say the Common Core was good. And he refused to sign off, just like the only English language expert refused to sign off. And you know, I serve on a board with them. They're very nice people. Uh, and even though we don't agree on a lot of things, like, for example, the alleged need for national standards, they are absolutely correct that this Common Core stuff doesn't work. That's mm-hmm. why our kids can't do math. That's why our kids can't read. Yes, and it's already been in motion for going on close to a decade now. Um, I just want to bring up one point before we need to take a break and come back and talk about some more of your articles. And also a project, a special report, Rescuing Our Children. I want to make sure we touch on that. But there was a man who beat Samuel Adams for the first United States Congress. He was born in 1758. You know, after a couple of clues, Alex, you're going to know this. But for our listeners, his father died when he was six years old. His mother determined to provide her son with a classic, classical education. In spite of her limited income, he began to study Latin. And when he was 12 years old, he attended Harvard College at 12 years old. Graduating from college in the year 1774 when he was 16 years old. He went on to become a lawyer, founding father, and author of the First Amendment of the Constitution, Fisher Ames. I bring that up, Alex, because we were just talking about how the new education system has to dumb down the standards, the testing, and everything else so kids can at least get passing scores. Well, in the old days, it, they didn't have half of the resources that we have today. And look at what men did. Why was that? Because they helped, well, first of all, he was a, a Christian, came from a solid family that brought him up on the Word of God, but really taught him how to study, how to learn, instead of telling him, as we get in the schools today, what to teach or what to learn. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the most remarkable things, I think, is when you compare the education that children were getting in the 1700s and the early 1800s, when you compare that today— um, you, it's not even fair to call them both education. I mean, what they were getting back then was education. Mm-hmm. What we're getting today is not even close to education. Right. So I just wanted to make that point before we take a break. When we come back, more with Alex Newman. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Alex Newman, award-winning journalist, correspondent, educator, author, and on and on and on. Alex, uh, you... you uh, have so much going on. You're so busy. And we were talking off air. I, I didn't ask where you lived. And I want to give our listeners a little idea of the journey that you've been on. You're on the speaking tour now, but you, uh, as we mentioned in the introduction, uh, you speak um, how many languages? Several languages. You've lived in seven, seven countries. So that brings you to where you are today. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, thank you, David. And, and I'm not normally one to talk about myself, but since you asked, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was born in Miami, Florida, and we left when I was four, moved to Mexico, spent seven years there, moved to Brazil, spent four years there, moved to Switzerland, spent four years there. Uh, day of my 18th birthday, I took all my money and moved to South Africa. I <laughs> uh, had some friends down there and thought it would be a good idea. Not for any noble purposes, I just thought it would be nice <laughs> to go see some friends and party. Um, after the South African government kicked me out, I moved to France, uh, met my beautiful wife, and then moved to Sweden. She's Swedish. That's how we ended up there. And uh, we finally sold our house in Sweden this year and uh, came over to America, bought a trailer, and uh, we've been traveling the country. I've done probably um, 85 speaking engagements in 35 different states over the last five or six, maybe six months. Wow. And I'm just outside of Tallahassee right now 
I'll be heading to uh, Idaho for a week in a couple of days, and then I'll be off to Spain. I was supposed to go to Chile for the UN conference, but they uh, canceled it because the commies are having a little uprising there led by Cuban intelligence. So <laughs> they moved it over to Spain, so I'll be heading to Spain and then uh, back to America, hopefully, wow. before the end of the year. So. Wow. Well, we would love to have you in studio next time you're in the Appleton, Green Bay area. Uh, in Wisconsin, if, if and when you get up here, Lord willing. But, uh, Alex, let's talk about your special report in The New American, and it's called Rescuing Our Children. Tell us about that. Sure. So, you know, after working with, uh, with Sam, I came to the conclusion that it was absolutely imperative that we get our children out of the public school system. And I know we're probably not going to get 100%, right? But we don't need 100%. Uh, we just need a solid number. So with that in mind... <clears throat> I figured, you know, what's missing here, if parents knew what was happening in the public school system, there's no way they would send their children there. Absolutely no way. Um, you know, if I had to live in a cardboard box, I wouldn't send my children to a public school. Because like, oh, I can't afford to not send them to public school. Again, I, I would live on the street before I would send my kids there. So we decided we'd put together a cost-effective, simple, but powerful tool to bring parents up to speed on what they need to know. And uh, that was the genesis of this special report in the New American Magazine. So that came out in February of this year. Um, we basically include all the, you know, you could write 20 books. You could write a book on each of these topics, but we tried to condense it down into a readable format, you know, something that people could read in a couple hours, something that you could buy for a dollar so we could get mass distribution. And so that's what we did. Uh, we showed parents what's happening in the schools today in terms of indoctrination. You know, they're literally teaching kindergartners now to mutilate their genitals so they can become another gender, right? If I had told you that was coming in five years ago, you would have said, you know, lock this guy up in the nuthouse. That's crazy talk. And yet it's here, right? Mm -hmm. It's here now. They're teaching kids that they can, you know, literally castrate themselves and become a new gender. It's absolutely insane. So we show that. We show the dumbing down. We show the history of where this all came from. We show how the education system is now becoming global. Uh, and, you know, that's a real deep rabbit hole. The U.N.'s got the world core curriculum, um, you know, which is very, very much the, the similarity in the name with Common Core is more than coincidental, we can say. Um, the guy who wrote it, uh, he claimed, I mean, in, in the forward to the teacher's manual, he said that it was based on the teachings of Alice Bailey and the Trenton teacher, Draw Cool. Well, that means nothing to most people, but it turns out Alice Bailey was the founder of the Lucifer Publishing Company. So, mm -hmm. you know, this rabbit hole goes really, really yes. deep. Um, and so we decided to put, you know, as much as we could in this issue, we're trying to get a million copies of it out. So I'm, I'm going all across the country, giving talks on this, you know, trying to get those magazines out. Uh, I think we're in our seventh printing now. Wow. And we figure if we can get a million out, you know, we could probably get millions of kids out of the public school system. And, um, we think that'll form a solid core to keep, you know, the word of God, uh, the spirit of liberty, uh, alive in the United States, and um, so that's our goal. And uh, you know, we we hope we can do it. Uh, we've got a lot of help. We've got people all across the country ordering hundreds of copies, thousands of copies, giving it to their pastors at churches across America, letting me come in and uh, talk to the congregations, Tea Party groups. You know, all kinds of different organizations are uh, involved and in participating. So we're really really excited about this. People can get a copy of that special report either in PDF or if they want the print copy. Uh, go to thenewamerican.com slash rescuingourchildren, and uh, we'll even pay the shipping and handling if you, uh, if you use the promo code EDUCATE19. And what we hope is, you, you know, you'll read it, you'll look at this, you'll say, whoa, they're right. You know, if we don't get on this, all these other issues that we're fighting, we're going to lose on every single one. So let's at least put some of our attention on education. Let's get this to our pastor. Let's get this to our neighbors. And uh, hopefully we can start to turn the tide because, you know, step one has got to be recognizing the problem. And uh, once we recognize the problem, then we can start getting the solutions. Thank you, Alex. And that's the New American. We'll put the link in today's podcast post, Rescuing Our Children, a special report. And it's important to get that out. We'll do what we can to spread that as well. want to ask you about the obvious um, young people today, ignorant of history. We know, based on what you've shared with us, we know some of the reasons for that now, and we'll talk a little bit more of that with some of the history on the genesis of public schools about collectivism. But want to get your take on the state of millennials today, and it's not their fault, but they've grown up believing some lies with the help of today's media, Hollywood. Um, they believe that communism is cool, I think like 36%. But this alarming statistic came out in a recent poll um, where was it? About 70% of millennials are likely to vote 
socialist, and one in three see communism as favorable. Uh, there's a report that came out, and that was the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. And Alex, I'm sure you've heard about all this. I'm sure you've probably talked about this. But for, for our audience, which is primarily Christian, can you share the danger of this, and what can we do about it? Yeah, thank you, David. And um, you know, I, I think we need to start with the Word of God. Um, and, and if we want to understand what's happening in our school system, we need to understand that it is a total rejection of everything that God has ordained, that God has commanded. Right. And I mean everything, right? It was right in the beginning. God created a male and female. So what do they teach the kids? Oh, that's bigotry. You know, today there's infinite genders, and if you don't agree, we're going to put you in jail. That's literally what they're teaching <laughs> yes. kids across America. Uh, marriage. You know, God created marriage, one man, one woman, Adam and Eve. What do they teach the kids? Oh, you know, that's old-fashioned bigotry. Uh, today we know that marriage could be like three guys, two transgenders, and a goat, and, you know, the Supreme Court said, who are you to question the Supreme Court? Right. And when it comes to socialism and communism, again, total rejection of what the Bible teaches. Right? God says, thou shalt not steal. Right? It's easy, easy, but don't steal. That means you have a right to private property, and that means nobody can take it from you, whether they're in a mob right, representing 51% of the people, whether they're wearing a fancy government costume. Nobody has a right to steal from you. So what do they teach the children? Oh, private property is at the root of social injustice. We need to steal everything from everyone, and then we'll redistribute it, and then it'll be fair. Right. Again, total rejection of biblical principles. And, and I have a three-year-old. You know, I, I have a three-year-old. He's just outside. And if I take his teddy bear, he says to me, like, hey, Dad, that, that's my teddy bear. Give me that back. Right? So my three-year-old understands <laughs> private property, and yet these kids graduating from our high schools don't. And, and I'm terribly embarrassed to admit I'm a millennial. You know, I, I don't like to tell people that because they just automatically assume you're an idiot. And I can't say anything, but I blame them. But uh, they have been so brainwashed. And, mm. guys, we don't need a crystal ball to figure out where this is going to go, right? No. If 70% of our millennials are going to vote socialist, well, give it another generation. We're going to end up like Cuba. We're going to end up like mm -hmm. Venezuela. We're going to end up like North Korea or Zimbabwe. And all of this has its roots in the public education system and in the public education system's rejection of the Word of God and the truth that God teaches, not only through His Word, but also, I mean, some of this is just obvious, right? Male and female, you don't need to study Scripture to know that God created us male and female. Just look around for crying out loud, right? Some of this stuff is obvious, but it's a complete rejection of truth, a complete rejection of reality. That's how we've ended up in this situation. Our kids have been brainwashed, and the only way to undo it is to get education back-centered on God, back-centered on the truth, and out of the hands of a government that rejects all of these truths. Thank you, Alex. I want to get your take on a quote from the executive director of Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. Her name is Marion Smith, and she said, When we don't educate our youngest generations about the historical truth of 100 million victims murdered at the hands of communist regimes over the past century, we shouldn't be surprised at their willingness to embrace Marxist ideas. We need to redouble our efforts to educate America's youth about the dangers of socialism today. Alex, is the answer to try to come up with ways to fight the system and redouble our efforts to educate America's youth or general, like in the public school system, or is it to try to get kids out of that system and let the parents teach them? What are your thoughts on that quote and those ideas? Yeah, I'll start by saying I think the quote is is right on the money. In fact, I've worked with the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. I've, I've actually gone up to some of their trainings for teachers. It's a great organization. Um, but I think they're thinking too small. I mean, yes, it's important that kids learn this stuff. Absolutely no question. I mean, mm -hmm. it's an important part of history. If you don't know that communist dictatorships murdered 100 million of their own people in the last century, uh, and, and all you hear is this dumb rhetoric about, oh, equality and social justice, and, and you don't know anything about economics, you don't know how to read, you don't know anything, it's easy for you to become a communist, right? If, you were, if you've never been taught uh, the truth, if you've been taught to hate the truth, of course it's easy to believe this. But unfortunately, I think uh, Marion misses the mark in the idea that we just need to train the kids in the public schools better to understand this. Uh, in fact, the schools were founded by people. The public school system was literally created by people who believed in communism, who believed in collectivism, who believed in socialism. And their reason for founding the public school system was to do exactly what it's doing, crank out little collectivists who would fundamentally transform America. So I think the solution is, and you know, again, we go to God's word for this, right? Where does God's word say that Caesar ought to be in charge of education? 
And, you know, I'll, I'll give you the answer. Nowhere. <laughs> over and over again. Short answer? Um, I, I gonna, <laughs> nowhere, exactly. And so um, one of the guys we worked with on this special report, um, Rescuing Our Children, we, we worked with Duke Pesta, and another one was uh, Israel Wayne, a uh, very well-known uh, leader in the homeschool community. And he wrote a book. It's phenomenal. Um, what it was, does God have an opinion on education? And there are hundreds of scriptures dealing with education, with what an education should look like, who should be in charge. And again, you know, Caesar has a role, no question about it. Romans 13 tells us that government uh, is ordained by God, that it's supposed to punish evil, that it's supposed to protect the good. Nowhere does it say government should educate the children, right? Christians for 2,000 years have never thought that the government ought to educate their children. This is a new phenomenon. It's basically a century old, at least it's mainstream acceptance. And so we just need to go back to God's Word if we want to know what a good education looks like, and it does not include a public school system. So I think that's where you know we need to think bigger. We need to get kids out. If you can homeschool them, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think parents really should be in charge of their children's education to the greatest extent possible. I recognize that not everybody can do that, and so there are other alternatives. You know, Freedom Project is, is a good alternative. There are lots of great private schools out there where your child can get a God-centered um you know, phenomenal education where they'll learn how to read properly, they'll learn real history, they'll learn God's Word. Um, and so that's what we need to do. We need an exodus from the public school system. Um, let the thing collapse, you know, and, and, and teachers get worried. Like, oh, I won't have a job if there's no public school system. That's baloney, right? I mean, if the government ran the grocery stores, if the government suddenly got rid of its ownership of the grocery stores, would we suddenly not need people to work at grocery stores? I mean, it's crazy, right? It's absolutely <laughs> crazy. There's going to be plenty of jobs for teachers, whether Caesar runs the school system or whether – uh, parents and churches and private companies run the school system, and I think that's the direction we need to move in. And that's a nice transition for homeschooling. Uh, interest among American parents in home education has surged to an all-time high. You wrote an article at Freedom Project that came out just last week, I believe. Homeschooling draws unprecedented interest among U.S. parents. Give us the bullet points on that, Alex. Yeah, I think it's really encouraging. Even just a few years ago, it wasn't even 5% of parents who thought homeschooling was uh, the best alternative. Today, it's 15%. Uh, in as long as they've been doing these surveys, there's never been a time where interest in homeschooling has been so high. Uh, now, it doesn't mean 15% of children are homeschooled. We're still at about 5%. Uh, but that's progress, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the other results from the survey are interesting, too. The great majority of Americans, in fact, two-thirds, want to want their children out of the public school system. Just three in ten would voluntarily send their children to the public school system. And this is true even among public school teachers, which I think is especially interesting. Um, you know, they know how bad it is because they're in it, right? They, they see the fights. They see the gangs. They see uh, the immorality and the, the dumbing down of the children. They see the eighth-grade kids that can't even read their school textbooks, uh, and they don't like it. Right? So they want their kids out. And um, so I think that's really encouraging to me that the American people um, overwhelmingly recognize that this system is wrong, that it's harming the children. Uh, the problem is they just don't realize the urgency. Right now it's like a free babysitting program, and then mom and dad can work, and we can drive a nice car and go on vacation. Mm. Um, I tell people, you need to treat the public school building as if it were like on fire, right? Um, if the school building was on fire, you'd run in there and you'd get your kid, and you'd run out the other way. You, I mean, you wouldn't form a committee or write a petition or say, well, you know, maybe next year we'll think about it. You would do everything possible to get those children out because you'd be worried about their physical well-being. Well, we need to worry not just about their physical well-being, but also about their mental well-being, their academic well-being, their spiritual well-being. And again, I think parents have uh, a biblical obligation. And I know that sounds harsh and that sounds um, serious, but I think parents have a biblical obligation to get their children out. I agree with you. We obviously have talked about this quite a bit with Dr. Duke Pesty. He's been on in this program. And with a majority of Americans, not just Christians, but Americans saying they believe public education is on the wrong track, a majority obviously are still taking their kids to the public school. So there is a disconnect that uh, we can get into another time. But, Alex, I was optimistic thinking we could cover so much in 40 minutes. Can we hold you over for another segment? Sure. Good. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I just did. Um, I did I did want to talk about Robert Owen because I had not uh, heard about him and uh, his influence on the public school system and his background. So when we come back with Alex Newman, we're going to talk about the genesis of public schools, and we're going to talk a little bit about collectivism next. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. 
Now, back to David Fiorazzo. We're speaking with Alex Newman, journalist, correspondent, author, and uh, we are covering so much in so little time. Let's jump right into this article, Alex, that you wrote over at the Epoch Times. Epoch? Epoch? Yeah, I think people pronounce it different ways, but yeah, the Epoch Times, Epoch, Epic Times, some people epic. call it, but... Uh, yeah, I've been it, doing a series on education. For yeah, so. it's it's phenomenal, by the way. Some extensive history and, and background in these articles that we will try to uh, tackle another time. But this one's called The Genesis of Public Schools, Collectivism and Failure. And um, it, it talks about how more than half of young Americans today prefer, prefer socialism over freedom. Uh, it's obviously not sustainable, at least in the U.S., if we're going to survive as a free society. But you say it's not an accident that these kids are being brought up this way and starting to believe this. So I want to give you an opportunity, just uh, you remember, because you wrote the article, you mentioned John Dewey and Horace Mann, and most of us have heard of those two individuals, but you also bring up a man named Robert Owen. And so I'd love for you to just introduce him to us and why that's important to know that history. Yeah, well, thank you for the opportunity, David. And I I think this is one of those things that, is so unknown, but really needs to be better understood if we're going to fix this problem. Because you're right, a lot of people know about Horace Mann and his role. A lot of people know about John Dewey and his role in the public education system. But what they don't know is what came before all this. Mm-hmm. Right. So Horace Mann actually imported the the public education system that had been pioneered in Prussia. Um, you know, they had a dictatorship there that really created the first government schools anywhere on the planet. Uh, in the early to mid 1800s, and then Horace Mann, inspired by that idea, brought those into the into the state of Massachusetts, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And the Prussian dictatorship got the idea of a government school system from a guy called Robert Owen. And Robert Owen is is almost completely unknown today, except among like history wonks and and you know people who are really obsessed with communism. But um, he was a communist before Karl Marx came along. Uh, back in the 1813, I believe, he wrote a series of essays arguing that government should take control of education. He thought it would—I guess we should start even further back. You know, <laughs> America and, and Europe were thoroughly Christian societies at that time. I mean, the, the Christian biblical worldview absolutely dominated. And uh, Robert Owen came along and rejected all that. Yeah, most of our founding fathers uh, were really Calvinistic in their outlook. You know, they they understood that man was innately depraved, right? If you read God's Word, it says man's heart is desperately wicked, right? If if people weren't restrained either by, you know, morality or by government, they would just be doing wicked wicked things constantly, just always evil, right? But uh, Robert Owen rejected that view, and he thought, you know, human nature is actually really good, right? If if you just uh, train people properly, they'll do great things, and they'll be really nice. And, you know, this whole idea of man as innately sinful, he rejected that. And so he thought government ought to get involved. Uh, he actually saw religion as the root of all these societal ills rather than as the cure for them. And he believed we should get rid of private property. He believed we should uh, gradually get rid of the family and have the state take a greater and greater role and live in communism. So he wrote these essays arguing that the government ought to take over education um, over in the British Isles. And the Prussian ambassador picked up these essays, took them back to the Prussian dictator, and the Prussian dictator ordered his interior minister to start implementing them to create a government school system. And, I mean, it was kind of like a police state, right? They, mm-hmm. they gave the police uh, access to all the archives, baptismal records, so they could go out and find out what parents weren't uh, handing over their children for indoctrination. Um, it, it really was humanity's first experiment with education of the state, by the state, and for the state. And it all came from this guy called Robert Owens. And uh, some years later, Robert Owens would actually set up a communist commune. Uh, he wanted to prove that communism was superior to freedom. And so, um, you know, individual liberty and private property and so on. So he set up, he bought a piece of land in Indiana. There had actually been a previous commune there. And uh, he set up what he called New Harmony. And uh, basically no private property. You know, everybody was supposed to work communally. Nobody could... Uh, you know, profit or anything like that. And obviously, it was a total failure. Right? I mean, it didn't take two years for everybody to leave because it didn't work. But Robert Owen got the complete wrong message from the failure of his commune. Instead of realizing, oh, wait a minute, I guess, you know, when God said, thou shalt not steal and, and ordain that there should be private property and family, um, you know, I guess he was right and I was wrong. No, no, no. You know, he didn't get that lesson at all. <laughs> he said, oh, the real problem is that the government didn't educate these children from the time they were little babies. That's the real solution uh... here. 
and so it, it gets even weirder from there, David. And so he, he after his commune failed, um, he started devoting basically all of his energies into building support for a government education system. And we got some really interesting revelations from a guy called Orestes Brownson. Uh, this was one of um, Robert Owen's disciples. And um, he explains in this book, uh, Orations on the Liberal Studies, that uh, basically what happened after the failure of this commune was uh, Robert Owens and his disciples set up what, they, what he described as a secret society, what Orestes Brownson described as a secret society modeled on the Carbonari of Europe, and that the goal of this secret society, or the two goals of this secret society, were to spread uh, public support for government education and to elect men to the legislatures of the states who would support having a government take over of education. And uh, that paved the way completely for Horace Mann to bring this Prussian system based on Owen's ideas into Massachusetts, and then from Massachusetts it spread throughout America like a cancer. And thus the government school system was born. So a lot of Americans don't realize that the government school system is really a new innovation. And if you judge a thing by its fruit, as the Bible tells us to do, I mean, it's crystal clear that it came from a poison tree. So what are we doing perpetuating this? Why do we keep watering it with more tax dollars? It's crazy. And, you know, that's the background. So so when you tell me, as we discussed earlier, that 70% of millennials are now, now graduating socialists, all I can say is, oh, man, the founding fathers of the public school system would be absolutely thrilled to hear that. Absolutely. And, and what you're also um, referring to is they want to have the kids from the youngest of ages and educate them. So that means they're away from their parents at earlier impressionable times and ages in, in, in their lives. And we even have a couple uh, people running for the Democrat nomination for president, uh, particularly Kamala Harris, who said uh, I think she's promoting a 10 hour school day, a plan of keeping the kids longer. I'm sure you know a little bit about that. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, this has been on the agenda for a long time, right? Arne Duncan, Obama's education secretary, spent seven years as education secretary, said UNESCO was his global partner in cradle-to-career education reform, turning your children into green global citizens. He publicly advocated the idea of government boarding schools. So, oh, yeah, we should have some of these children 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? That's where this is going, folks. Um, Department of Education and Department of Health and Human Services in the last few years of the Obama regime came out with a uh, policy statement. This was posted on their website saying the parents would be equal partners with the government in the raising of their own children. But, of course, we need mandatory home visits to make sure that equal partners are doing what the government thinks they ought to be doing. Uh, they talked about the need for federally funded uh, parenting classes. Oh, you know, what do we know about parenting? We've only been doing it for thousands of years right? <laughs> without the federal government's help. But that's where this is all going, David. You know, this was Hitler's idea, too. All totalitarians of the last hundred years have understood that if you want to secure your power base long into the future, brainwashing future generations through a government school system is the most effective way to do it. And so that's why Adolf Hitler became the first government anywhere on planet Earth to criminalize homeschool, right? made it a crime to school your own children at home. And it's all been downhill from there. And now that is the reigning paradigm in the West and, and really increasingly around the world today, that government ought to educate children and that parents get to play a secondary role at best. Very, very dangerous, a complete reversal of what God has told us in his word. And I think it's, a, it's an idea that needs to be fought tooth and nail if civilization, if freedom are going to survive into the future. And these men, uh, Robert Owen and others, believe simply getting control of the children through government schools would produce this utopia. But as you pointed out earlier, the history would gradually be forgotten and has been forgotten as the rotten fruit of this system began to undermine traditional American values and ideas. And you mentioned one man that came along later that actually turned on on Owen, and he said the great object was to get rid of Christianity. His name was Brownson. Can you uh, just give us a little bit on him in a minute? Yes, yeah, so Orestes Brownson, I think, is one of the most interesting guys in this whole narrative because he was a disciple of Robert Owen. He believed in communism, hmm. but then he repented. <laughs> he came to Christ, and he repented of this evil that he had been involved in. He wrote a book trying to blow the whistle on it. Hmm. He said, yes, the, the great object was to get rid of Christianity. What we were trying to do was set up a system of government schools, first state schools and national schools, where we were going to compel all parents to send their children there hmm. by law. And, you know, at the time, people looked at that and said, oh, that's the craziest, ridiculous stuff I ever heard. 
public school to help parents. That's crazy talk, right? Well, guess what? <laughs> today, that is the status quo, right? That's mm-hmm. where we are today. And he said, you know, about the secret society, he's the one who really first revealed the existence of the secret society. Uh, he said uh, the goal was to build public support for government education, and he said he doesn't know how far its tentacles extended, but he knows that a considerable portion of the state of New York was organized. How did he know that? Well, he was in charge of doing it, right? Uh, and again, fortunately, he came to Christ. He repented of this evil and uh, tried to expose it. Unfortunately, uh, we did not listen. Wow. Uh, it also mentions back in the early to mid-1800s. Let this sink in, uh, if you're listening at home right now, thinking about the, the current state of public education. In the early to mid-1800s, this system we have today would have been inconceivable to average people that the government would take over the education of kids for eight hours a day. And one thing, one final point in this article, Alex, I thought was really good. Um, The members of this secret society uh, talk about forming public opinion in favor of education by the state at public expense, taxpayer expense, to get men elected to the legislatures that would be favorable to this type of system. And do teachers unions come into play here? Because that's what it sounds like they do. Yeah, teachers' unions come along a little bit later. and uh, Actually, in this series that I'm working on, I'm going to be doing one on the National Education Association. Um, you know, I don't know that, it w- that they started out initially as basically communist front groups dedicated to perverting, sexualizing uh, children, turning them into communists and globalists, but uh, it's been that way for decades, for generations. Uh, the record is absolutely indisputable. You know, all you have to do is go back to their own publications and see what they were talking about. They didn't even bother to hide the fact that they were communists, that they were socialists, that they were globalists. And um, they played an enormous role in driving us to the point where literally today the NEA is partnered with the Human Rights Campaign, the most mm-hmm. radical, the most powerful LGBT extremist group in the country. Um, in training teachers to create welcoming schools. And what that means is they, the teachers every year have to ask each student what their, pron- what their preferred pronouns are. Um, but that's how insane this system has become. So teachers' unions play a big, big role in all of this. I will be exploring it again soon. And if you really want to get into great detail on that, again, Sam Blumenfeld wrote the book NEA, Trojan Horse in American Education. Um, it's the best resource I know of on that front. There's also a documentary coming out very soon that is going to expose the NEA like never before. Great. Um, I was filmed for it a couple months ago. It's going to be phenomenal. So stay tuned. You haven't heard the last of these teachers' unions. They must be exposed, and uh, they will be. And thank you for your work in helping expose them and just for promoting the truth. Uh, we appreciate your work over at Freedom Project, Alex, also at The New American and WorldNet Daily, and we look forward to getting uh, an update from you next time you come on. Thanks so much for being on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you so much for having me, David. Really appreciate it. God bless you. All right, uh, when we come back, wrap up today's show and some exciting guests the rest of the week. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's David Fiorazzo. What a what an action-packed hour with Alex Newman. There's so much information we got in, and there's so much more that we will have to get to next time with him. But uh, tomorrow, excited to have Jan Markell of Olive Tree Views, and she'll be back on with us. We'll talk a little bit about Bible prophecy, the end times, and understanding what's going on in our culture and the world. Of course, we'll talk about Israel and some of the things that are happening even now, today, as uh, rockets are being fired over there. So Jan Markill uh, tomorrow, and um, well, we've got a bunch of exciting guests next week. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag yet on that. We've got, a, a well, Mike Jenrin. He's going to be with us uh, Monday. Uh, so we're excited to have so many other guests, too. But thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, God bless you. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter, and we'll talk to you next time.